Hi everyone, and thank you for joining our webinar today discussing why culture is central to a core of a growth of a business. By way of introduction, my name is Eliza Hannon, and I'm Head of Small Banking Queensland at ANZ. I'm joined today by my colleague Laura Woods, who is Regional Executive Northwest Victoria for Business Banking at ANZ. Before we start, I wanted to let you know that this session is being recorded so that it can be shared with those who are not able to join us today. If we can just ask those presenters who are also on the call to make sure they're muted, I am getting some feedback through the line, please, it would be great. I'd also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet today. Now that's been different for all of us in this virtual world, but for me that's the Jigera and Torbal peoples of Brisbane. I'd also like to pay my respects to elders both past, present and emerging. Today's webinar is an example of how ANZ is living our mission and commitment to helping small and medium companies start, run or grow and to help individuals and the communities thrive. I know we're all in different stages of COVID restrictions at the moment, so a big thank you from me to you for taking the time to be with us today during these times and I hope you are all safe and well. I am pleased that you do want to learn more about how to create a great culture that will enable your company to grow. I'm sure you'll find this webinar both interesting and illuminating as I have in the past with these great presenters and speakers today. Although companies may differ from each other in terms of industry, age, stage of growth, or number of employees or location, what is common is that successful growth-oriented business owners, whether that's CEOs, managing directors, or general managers, have several things in common a focus on their customers, a passion and drive to succeed, tenacity and persistence, the ability to learn and grow from both challenges and opportunities, and the ability to select people and create a culture that supports and even accelerates their growth. Our guests for this webinar today are two, two of ANZ's customers who happen to be business owners who've been through the ANZ Business Growth Program that Dr. Jana Matthews designed and directs. But before we go into their stories, I'd like to introduce our special guest speaker, which is Dr. Jana Matthews, who will facilitate the discussion with our ANZ CEO guests. Dr. Jana is an international expert on entrepreneur leadership and business growth, a professor and the founding director of the Australian Centre for Business Growth at the University of South Australia. Jana holds the ANZ funded chair in business growth at UniSA Business and directs the ANZ Business Growth Program. During her career, Jana has founded several companies of her own, has worked with hundreds of CEOs and leadership teams across the world, and for the last seven years here in Australia, she's been global thought leader for SAP, was on the founding team of Kaufman Foundation Centre for Entrepreneurial Leadership, and was named one of 18 women business gurus in the world, which is very impressive. In 2018, Jana was named one of the leading women in Australia's innovation ecosystem. And that same year, AFR named her one of the 100 most influential people in Australia. She's a member of the International Women's Forum. And in addition to her day job, which is extensive, she chairs the selection committee for the Commonwealth Government's $60 million program to boost female founders who are ready to scale. So, Jana, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks, Eliza. And I'm really delighted to be here doing another one of the ANZ webinars because these have been an opportunity for us to reach a lot of people around the country. Who knows around the world? Who knows who all tunes in? Um, we, we clearly have a lot of people who are interested in culture, given the numbers of people who've signed up for this webinar. So I'm delighted to be here. Our mission of the Australian Center for Business Growth is so aligned with ANZ because our mission is to help business owners grow. And when I first started the center, people said, do Australian companies really want to grow? And I said, of course they do. I just don't think many of the CEOs understand how. And so we have proceeded to engage people and teach them the what to do, when, why, and in what order, in effect, the how, as well as the why to grow. And growing companies becomes an imperative for Australia. So if you look at what's going on in terms of the numbers of companies, we may have 850 some thousand employing companies but 600,000 of those have less than five employees. So you, you can't build an economy on the basis of a whole lot of small companies. You need to have them be growing to larger and larger. And so we focus on the ones that are between five and 19, which is technically small companies, there are about 200,000 of those, and then between 20 and 199, of which there are 50,000 in Australia. So 
our focus is the 250,000 companies that we believe is the real leverage point for Australia in terms of economy, growing, jobs, uh, revenue, taxability, and so forth. As you're successful, you pay taxes. So we, we have a large enough market to keep us busy because so far we've only done about 1,200 companies. So we have a lot more to go in terms of reaching more of them. And, and those of you who've tuned in today, we're really pleased that you have because we believe that you are part of the leverage point for our economy in Australia. We're a nation of small business, as I have just demonstrated, but surely we don't want to stay small. Surely we want to grow. But when you have 93% um, of the companies having less than $2 million in revenue, that's a lot for the 7% over 2 million to carry. And we want to show the path where people can start, run, grow, and continue to grow or merge, acquire, exit, whatever it is. We've designed the webinars as a way to get inside the heads of the people that we'll be interviewing. So it's not just they're going to tell their wonderful story, although it's wonderful. We're going to tell the story, and then we're actually going to ask them some questions in terms of how did they do it. But let me define culture, because a lot of people go like, oh, I don't know, Dr. Janet, culture, what is this? Well, simply defined, culture is actually the result of a lot of things that you think, do, what you allow to happen in your company, how people react, respond, and how you respond as well. And we say the CEOs are responsible for the culture because they're responsible for describing what are the values, who are the people that we hire in, what are the things that we positively reinforce and what are the things that we negatively reinforce. And when you get a culture, which is basically the core of growth, when you get that going, it's pretty magical, as you will hear from, from Brett and from, um, I think we had, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Andy. Uh, Andy's in Perth and Brett is in Victoria. Um, I think we've had a perfect example of the issue of values and culture here with Taylor Walker, right? Chairman, uh, uh, captain, former captain of the Adelaide Crows. He was twice voted best captain of the AFLPA, which is the Players Association. And yet he was at a game and he, you know, uh, talked about and, and did some things that were overheard by the, the uh, made racist comments uh, about another team, to a team player about another player who was playing. And some of the Crows officials heard that and they've been working very hard on their culture. They know since a year and a half that there have been problems with the culture and they've had people come in, they've had conversations and discussions and they're working hard on it. So someone said, we can't let this go on. We can't not call somebody up when they've done that. And so he has recently been suspended for six games, $20,000 fine. And if you watch television last night, he was doing a video apology to Robbie um, and and apparently he's pretty torn up about it. And who knows, this could be career threatening, if not career ending for him. So to understand if you have a culture, what you need to do to protect it, it's not only as describing what it is, but what you need to do to be able to protect it and to have the people who are there understand the power of the culture and understand what that means for each other and for how the company operates. So the question isn't, do you have a culture? The question is, what kind of culture do you have? And is it the one that you want? I mean, we look at Hell's Angels, we look at the Mafia, we look at the US Marines, we look at the Crows, look at our Center for Business Growth. We each have cultures and they're pretty explicit. People can probably describe them and we attract people who subscribe to that. And for those people who don't, Sometimes there's in negative reinforcement, punishment, or expulsion from the organization. So we're, we're not always trying to prescribe what the values are. Some companies are innovative. Some are, you know, uh, follow the rules and stay within the bounds. Others want to break the bounds. Um, whatever the values are, you simply need to define them yourself. And it's your responsibility as the leader and then you need to make conscious decisions in line with those values. So let's talk about the process by which we identified the values for our, our two, Andy and, uh, and Brett. So what they've done and what they still do to protect the culture. And then we're gonna talk about, um, finally end up with 
now that they have a great culture. So what what difference does that made to the bottom line and to their overall success as a company? So Andy, let's go with you. We'll start with you first. I think I saw that you were called the Perth Hospitality Guru. Pretty good. Your company, Sneakers and Jeans, now owns more than six hospitality venues with a whole lot more that are about to go live with Pirate Life. And last December, Sneakers and Jeans won the Employer of the Year Award. Pretty amazing. So I want you to talk about yourself, about Sneakers and Jeans, um, how you got into the hospitality business to start with. I think, I think that was in London, if I recall. And then take us through the story uh, from Perth to London back, or someplace to London and back. And then, and why did you go to go to Perth? Hi, uh, hello everyone, and morning, Jana. Thanks for having me on this chat. I um, yeah, hospitality guru, guru is a big term. We we just love what we do. I'm very grateful, probably that I found an industry that I can love. I. I refer to a bit like being Greg Norman who plays golf for a living. It just sounds pretty awesome. So I fell asleep. I did move to London. So originally when I started out um, in Perth, which was the most isolated city in the world at the time, um, I sort of left school and all I wanted to do was work. I wanted to start working, make some money and I wanted to travel, which is Quite common, I think, with a lot of young Aussies, they want to leave their country and, and go and live in the UK. So I started what uh, a lot of people might have seen the movie Tom Cruise with Cocktail. So I started, it's called Flaring, um, a long time ago. This is quite embarrassing, but I was very good. Um, so I was sort of Australasian champion. And then I moved to the UK and worked for Marco Pierre White in London at Titanic. Kept flaring and won a lot of awards. And I, after a few years, I did return back to Australia um with my girlfriend at the time continued uh working but I, I i didn't work anywhere specifically i sort of worked a lot around town i was sort of more of a bartender for hire so someone would hire me for a friday or a saturday because i was very good at entertaining with the bottles and, and good at drink making there was a very famous bar at the time in perth called lux bar so i was working there and and after a few years I ended up buying it um, Lux Bar at the time was the, the first style bar in Western Australia, very, very famous, the most awarded bar. We had that for about nine years um, and then that's when the sort of trajectory for me changed, I guess. Lux was, the walls were closing in. I needed some more creative liberty, wanted to try some new things and then that's when I stepped out of Lux and we started with Varnish and then the rest is sort of history. So it was a very rapid growth for us, um, moving from one bar to sort of, you know, we've got half a dozen of them at the moment. And then, as you said, Pirate Life Brewery looming, which we can't wait. It's been a three-year project, so we've got to get it open. It's driving me nuts. Um, but COVID has stammered that. But, um, yeah, very excited to be here and, and share whatever I can with the team that's watching. So you expanded during the program. You thought about other things you could do besides simply open more bars. And while you were waiting for Pirate Life, you expanded into music and merchandise, huh? So oh, yeah, we've that? done lots of yep. yeah. So the I guess for us that the brand sneakers and jeans um, it it represents sort of who we are as people. Where you know everything we do is a highest quality food, booze, and service. We just dish it out wearing sneakers and jeans. So we've always wanted to be somewhat accept, acceptable and approachable. Um, all our bars are very different, whether it's a tequila bar with a, a dancing pole and a thousand skulls on the roof, or a fine dining restaurant at a rooftop supper club called Hedika. Um, so our mission has always been to create good times different. And, and with that, the brand, we thought, particularly COVID triggered a lot of that, was when we started our own Spotify channel and shared playlists that represented each one of our venues. We've always found Varnish is eight years old. We would get people coming in there and holding their mobile phones in the air. And it wasn't long before we realized they were shazamming, they were recording the songs that were playing because it took me about a year to get that playlist together from 80s rock and pop to country and western. So it was sort of all the food groups. And we thought what a great way to maybe connect with our audience while they're at home in lockdown and share some of our music. 
from there, you know, we rolled out a, a wellness program. Uh, we've rolled out a philanthropy piece called S and J Give, where we're collecting uh, pre-loved sneakers and jeans. You bring them into our venue, and we've partnered with the City of Perth to to share them to those that are in need and those that are sleeping on the streets. Um, merchandise, just sharing little pieces of of I think what people find really attractive about our business. But now you can take some of it home with you as well. So, and it's just created fun, you know, it keeps us, keeps us doing stuff. I know when I go places and I pull out something and I have that instant recall of that memory that I was there or hear the music, hear the piece. I know exactly yep. what you're talking about here. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Well, I want to talk about, I'll come back to you. We'll talk about Brett and we'll get Brett's story here because it's a different story, Brett. Your folks started the company, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. Uh, good morning, Jenna, uh, and to all the listeners. So uh, yeah, Mum and Dad started the business um, back in 1972. So um, we're in our 50th year next year. So uh, that's an exciting thing to plan. Hopefully, COVID doesn't uh, scuttle it, but uh, we'll see how we go. So Dad, Dad uh, borrowed $500 from the bank, and uh, Mum and uh, and Dad worked really hard for for many years, just the two of them, and then my stepbrother originally. Um, was their, their next employee. So uh, they worked hard on the back of one customer pretty much, which was Camelot Trucks, who is still a customer today. So fantastic. So I started at Railline in 1987. So I left school about three years earlier, um, about halfway through year 12. My brother had a, a motorbike accident and I went up to work in his pub in country New South Wales, up near Griffith. And um, so I worked up there, which then led me to work in um, shearing sheds. So I worked in some shearing sheds and then Returned to Victoria and worked in my auntie's furniture factory. So um, very much just on the tools. But um, and then the call up come to you know you want to come to Railon and uh, so I came to Railon and I uh, was about 20 years old at that point. Um, worked out in the factory for for uh, 13 years. So just in various roles, I started off cutting cardboard. Um, and uh, my my younger brother who had started earlier than me was working at Railon at the time. So. Um, he, 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 myself and him, we're sort of very different people. We struggle to work together, really, but um, he runs another business very successfully now his way. But um, so I worked through through that period, 13 years, and about 1999, Dad decided that time for him to start stepping back. So I sort of transitioned into the office and started to learn some roles in there, which I didn't feel very comfortable with because I had 13 years out in the factory. I was very comfortable out there. So that was a challenging time and as dad got closer to um retiring i realized there was some stuff i just didn't know and didn't really have any interest in in learning and it was mainly around detail i'm not a great details person i'm more entrepreneurial i suppose so i hired a um i went to our major customer being kenworth and i spoke to the purchasing manager there and i explained the sort of person i needed and i said i wanted to try and get them from kenworth because they would understand and we were very much just Kenworth was our major customer still at that point. So I hired a fellow called Dave Moody and convinced him to come over and um, stay for three years and he's still here today. So um, so yeah, so from that that point onwards, I guess what I inherited was quite a small business that um, my dad, I mean, my dad was an orphan while he was taken off his parents and put in a home and he, he didn't have a great education. Got sent out to school when he was about 12 and did stuff on the back of an envelope and it, but it worked. It had worked, it was the right, place for the time, I suppose, or the right actions and, and person for the times to grow a business from nothing. So um, so we started to sort of modernise it and um, things, even things like computers, getting computers out in the factory and systems and, and stuff like that. And Dave built our original ERP system, which we only replaced this year, um, in access and and just took it from the back of the envelope onto a computer screen. And, and as Kenworth grew, we continued to grow. So um, today, you know, we're a business currently with just over 120 employees. We've hired 50 people in the last six months. Um, so we've nearly doubled in size, which has had its challenges. No, as everyone out there would understand, just hiring people now is difficult finding people. So um, we've got a six person leadership team. So myself and my wife, Katrina, um, who's not actively working in the business at the moment, but um, and then for Dave and, and three other people that have been here for a long time. And, um, you know, that, that means the business is not all about me, which is awesome. Um, it allows me to get away and have a little bit of a break. Um, in recent years, we've got three sons. So two of my boys are now working here full time. 
one one uh, has been here. It's coming up to five years this year, I think. And um, my other son, this is this will be his third year, I think. And they're both playing good roles in the business, playing to their strengths. Um, and my third son, who's at uni studying a bit of marketing, type filmmaking type stuff, he works here part time as well. So um, he says he's not going to work at Radio One because we work too hard. But I think the other two said the same thing. So um, I think he'll uh, he'll end up here as well at some point in some role. So uh, yeah, so look, it's great. I mean, it's a great honour to take over a family business, and you know, I'm getting to experience now what my dad experienced when I come into the business and and seeing my two boys there, and it's it's a proud moment to see them making their way and making their mistakes, and they don't have egos, which is awesome. No one would know that they're our our boys. Um, because they don't tell them, they find out obviously, but um, they're not one to introduce themselves as the boss's son, that's for sure. So, which is a good yeah. thing, I think. I think it is a good thing, you're right. Um, because you need people who are aligned with the values and they can do the functional roles, and the fact that they happen to be family members is sort of beside the point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's it. That's exactly yeah. right. Cool. So, um, so you have almost doubled in the last six months. But yeah. the, before that, when you were going through COVID, I think that was an issue for both of you. That's a real test of culture and values when you're going through something as dramatic and traumatic as COVID. So Andy, just a little sidebar here. You got the award for best employer of the year because of some of the things that you did. I mean, your employees weren't even being employed, right? They were, at that point, you couldn't open because of COVID. So why would yeah. you get an award for being a great employer when you aren't employing people? So walk us through what you did. Oh, we're awesome. No, we, um, it was, hospitality got hit so hard. And I mean, I can't complain, we're in West Australia today, but you know, skip back 18 months ago, we, we didn't know where the bottom of that hole was. I often thought that maybe one of our businesses might not go as well as the others, but I've got, half a dozen others that will always pop it up. I never forever thought that the whole lot would be turned off. And so when we did, when, when we closed, um, it was it was quite emotional. We, we had 100 staff, so we brought them all in and said, I'm sorry, we sort of got to stand everyone down. The exec team we kept on, they all worked remotely because we could, um, just to keep the digital channels active. We, we did think it might be a clever way to connect to a, a stronger audience because everyone would just be on their phones at home now on social media. And with our staff, what we ended up doing, we thought, um, we, we sent out weekly newsletters. So it was what, what Lockie, my partner and myself are doing each week in the business, what to watch on Netflix, um, some healthy eating habits. Um, we, you know, we just, anything that we thought would keep us relevant and connected and we've got a big, a big pillar in our in our business is health and well-being, albeit it's hospitality. So we, we never reward with alcohol. We never say, hey, guys, great job. Take a bottle of wine home. We try to be a little bit clever, smarter than that. And um, and that was sort of what we did. And, and when we won that award, um, I don't know, it was, it, was just, it was just nice. It was nice that there was an acknowledgement that we, we, we work hard for our team. We don't take them for granted. Our biggest success is retention. Much to what Brett said, finding staff is really difficult. We get a lot of fishmongers and forklift drivers applying to be venue managers. It's just, there's not a big pool of talent um, that are coming in from overseas or over east at the moment. So we've got to keep what we've got and upskill. And, um, and particularly with Pirate Life, that will be all going well, another 70 staff. So that brings us to 170. Um, where are we going to find these guys from? So we're, we're harvesting from the team we've got. So we'll seed with the culture right from day one. Um, and then they can filter that through to the, to the underlings and newbies that come on board. Um, but the award was, was nice. It was just, we care for our people. We're nothing without our people. I'm one man with, with great ideas, but I don't execute them. So, um, yeah, that was a nice moment, Jana, winning that award. Yes. Yes, uh, I remember being surprised when you were talking about health and fitness because I hadn't thought about what kind of muscle you'd have to have to have a tray with all those dishes on it that you're carrying around. And of course, you need to be in good shape to do that, right? Yeah. So how did you work through what those values were and clarify them in your own head and describe them? And then 
make every single decision. And Brad, I'm going to ask you the same question. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't, it just not naturally you don't wake up one morning and start, oh, these are the values that we need to define who we are. Yeah, we, um, I guess, uh, I've only worked for maybe one or one and a half employers that ever really made a positive impact on me and me as an individual with, wow, that was an awesome boss. I've had lots that I remember for bad things and I never wanted to be one of those guys. I, my dream was to own a bar one day, like like a lot of people, I think, a lot of guys, a lot of bartenders. And then, and then I, I got one and it was Lux Bar and then I was like, well, that was hard, but I enjoyed that. And I'm very restless by nature. I I find comfort in my discomfort. I like challenges. Um, I like I like pain, um, not literally, but figuratively speaking. Um, I find comfort in tight corners. And mm. and I thought, well, you know, I enjoyed that the rush of of owning larks and being really successful at that time. Let's do it again. And my biggest success was probably finding my number one partner was Lockie because our values are very much in line. Um, our priority is having fun. Work is hard, but we're 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 very lucky. We're in an industry where there's there's pretty girls, there's loud music, there's great food, and you get paid to have a good time. So that's pretty awesome. Um, sadly, a lot of my time is spent behind a desk nowadays, but hospitality is a sexy social environment. Um, so trying to live some of, I'm 46 now, so I've, you know, I go back 20, 30 years ago, I was still working till four o'clock in the morning um, and working very hard, but I rocked out, I had a great time. So trying not to remember, not to forget those, those feelings and emotions and bring that through to how, mm. we, how we run our business. I'm the oldest person in my business and I know that. Um, so a lot of the people that we communicate with and that we attract are the younger generation. So we need to understand what their needs are because it's different from what mine are nowadays. I'm a father, I'm a parent, I'm a CEO. I don't sleep at night because of cash flow worries and all these boring things. Um, so, we, you know, we spent a lot of time on, on figuring out what our values are and what we what we wanted. And it was, was always be humble, be restless, have fun, uh, be constructive, be positive. Um, and, and we do invest a lot in our team and I think the one thing with hospitality staff is they talk. They go out after work to another bar and they talk. So we're very attractive. These kids, if they're happy, they go and say how awesome sneakers and jeans are to work at. So we do get a lot of that sort of guerrilla marketing, I guess, with our attitude that's seated in our West Australian community. Um, it's just today it's a bit harder during COVID, like a lot of people that are sharing this conversation with us. It's retention's key and, and we'll just see how we go with, with pirate life. But um, yeah, it's it's very close to our heart, our, our values and everything, Jana. And it's, you know, the, the merch and all the other things that we're doing are just little sprigs of that that we, we sprinkle across Perth at the moment. So one of the things we had you do in the program was actually define what is your mission and then actually identify several words that define your values and then what are the behaviors associated with them? And certainly fun was one of those. Yeah. You know, have joy in life. You enjoy what you're doing. If you don't, then you shouldn't work here. But there were other things that had to do with the respect and integrity and all those things that I was pretty impressed with that defined your business as well, including no drugs and no misbehavior and yeah. you know, people enjoying, you know, slugging each other out in the walls walls being dented and all those sorts of things. There were definite values that defined your business and the people's behavior within the business as well and customers' behavior when they actually came. Yeah, yeah. yep. So, Brad, if I cycle over to you then, um, clearly, as I said, every every company has a set of values. So how did you define yours? And then I'm, I'll talk a little bit about how we can riff on that and talk with the rest of the folks about other ways that we've helped people define their values, but let's hear about yours. Yeah, so as I said, I mean, Raymond's been going for, for 50 years, or nearly 50 years, we're, we're about to enter our 50th year, and um, when I took over the business, there was, there was definitely a culture, and it had been set by my dad, 
mum and dad really early in the piece, but there was no such thing as values. And our values have been in place for about seven years. So we've gone 42, 43 years without set values, but we had a culture. And you know, if I look back at what our culture was back then, it was, it was one of teamwork, understanding and care. Um, I've got a factory full of what I would call shit warring jobs. You know, they're repetitious. They're just over and over again. And you're trying to attract people into this place. So Andy, and I think you saw touched on fun. You know, how do you have fun in a factory full of, you know, where people are working in, in, in um, we, we, we put them in good conditions. We've got heaters, we've got air conditioners through our whole facility to make it as good as possible. So, um, but we've managed to attract people that are like-minded and, and, and that fit our culture. So about seven years ago, we got together, we were going through another um, government program at the time and they challenged us. They said, well, what are your values? And we didn't have any published values. We didn't have a vision and a mission statement and stuff like that. So it grew from that. You know, we sat down with the leadership team initially and, and in this course and we went through, you know, who, who are we? And we tried to put it into words. So, um, and at that point, um, we then invited some others in, some other middle management to just run it past them and, and say, is this, is this reflective of who we are and who we want to be? Because it's important, nothing worse than just being told, you know, that, that there's some people there who've got some very good opinions and very good insights into what we're doing. So I think it's really important to bring the team along in the journey and have them be part of the solution. So we come up with commitment, teamwork, respect, communication and attention to results. So we're, with those first four, we're super comfortable. Do it easy. Attention to results, which is the one that you could say we we um, we certainly need to be better at. And but it's the one we've shown the most growth at in the last 12 months. So that's pleasing that we're we're in a position where we're doing that. So and then we launched it with the team. So we had an off-site event for an afternoon where we took everyone off-site in the good old days when you could do that. Um, and Dave put together a presentation that just he sort of related it to travelling from point A to point B in your car and you've got signs and you've got rules and stuff like that along the way. So we launched it to them, telling them the why, why is this important? And then um, and then went through each one and behind every word, there's, a, there's several paragraphs to explain what commitment means to us. And that's really important too. It can't just be words. And, you know, I, I read them sometimes because we do a, what I call a culture um, presentation to new employees and you know still today almost get teary talking about some of the, the phrases we've got in there because it's real and it and it's close to my heart and um, so yeah so that was a really good process are we world's best at living them oh, sorry not living them but um, promoting them every day I don't think we are but I don't think you have to be but you've got to have them there and when we could have team meetings every every month we had a meeting called a connect meeting where we get the whole staff group together um, and we would relate many of the things we we do to one of our um, one of our values. So if we were talking about something, you'd lead with, you know, on our value of commitment, blah blah blah, and then you would be you'd be through this like that. Um, our employee of the year awards are based around people's um, display of our values and how they live them and promote them and stuff like that. So um, that's the major element that wins you with that award. The people that are actually you know, following our values and promoting them within the within the place. So it's a not everyone gets it. And as I said when I spoke to you yesterday, we've got the most multicultural workforce we have ever had. I've got the United Nations working here and it's working beautifully and it's fitting our culture because it's one of acceptance and, and understanding. And so we've got all these different um, traditions that people have and, and parts of their their lives that are very different to what Australian life is often, but it's all accepted and we've never had one incident. So, um, because, yeah, because people do genuinely care here. So say those four words again, that are your values. Yeah, five words, so commitment, teamwork, teamwork. teamwork, respect, communication, and attention to results. Yep. So, other companies we work with have been innovation, teamwork, uh, they'll have different words that are meaningful for them. And what I really liked was that you found the ones that made sense for Rayline. And then, so there's several things. One is defining them. And sometimes yep. if people don't go through the process, 
uh, if you're a startup, you can define them because you're the boss, you are the founder, it's your, your job to do that. If you come and take over a company or you're in a company and you haven't done this, then one of the things you want to find out is what are the, the values that are in, in effect in practice. And so you go back and ask people and you can ask your customers, when you think of us, what are the characteristics of working with our people? And when you ask people internally, what do you think our values are? And then you look at that and you say, is that what I want to, to, to be the hallmark of our company? And it's either, yep, or I want those, I don't want those. So you have, then you have a conversation where you talk through and modify people's understanding of what it is that you want and then start making decisions on the basis of that. So the formulation of the values Second is, as you just started talking about, what you do in order to embed the values. So it's how you hire people, what you look for, how you give feedback to people on their performance, what you call out as terms of good behavior versus stuff you want to have a little quiet conversation with them, you know, around here that doesn't match our values. Um, and, then, and then if people are, are really outside the bounds and simply cannot understand how they're supposed to behave in your environment, then you have to make the hard decision about whether or not they stay or go because performance is related to values as well as functional yeah. performance, um, right? And then yeah, exactly. how do you keep embedding that and embedding that and underscoring that? So Andy, how have you done that now that you've got people back at work, now that you're you know at full swing, everybody's, all 100 people are back working and you're gonna hire another 70 or so. Are you looking at, uh, a different screen as you're looking at hiring people now or is it pretty much you've got this you pretty much understand what the model is and what the person would look like and behave and so on yeah for us we, we do know what fits and what, what works and okay. because we do do a lot of from promoting from within um or moving from one venue to another the culture has got to be consistent regardless of the brand regardless if it's um you know, the flower factory or, or varnish on King or part life or whatever it's going to be. Um, we still want the business culture and the values to, to ring through. We, I was thinking, we, we actually had something happen. Um, it was about two weeks ago. One of the guys at one of the venues said something that was related, not too dissimilar to what you're talking about, the Adelaide Crow scenario. Um, it was flippant. It was silly. He regretted it. But, you know, he, he was exited from the building 20 minutes later. I just, we just can't have it. And I said to Lockie, who's my number one, I said, the staff need to know that we support, don't support that, that we support them. Um, and it was a bit of a ripple that sort of went through. He was, he was a good guy and he stuffed up, but there's just no space for that. And we love our people. And he, he said it's a, it was a <clears> joke, but it was terribly inappropriate. And what Brett's saying about having United Nations working for you, mate, we're exactly the same. There's, you know, sexuality is a very big thing now that is a massive spectrum. And hospitality is um, a, a breeding ground for that stuff because they're all just young kids, a lot, of our, a lot of our staff. So everyone feeling present and being able to fit in, whether you're tall, short, black or brown, it doesn't matter. We just, you're welcome. And sneakers... We really need the guys to feel that. And the world is changing so fast. And, and you know, I'm not that old, but I think back 20 years ago and how different it was then to how it is today. So, Janny, you know, with Pie Life coming on board, another 70 people, what we're doing there is we, we had to outsource for a general manager because that's a big venue. It's a thousand-person venue with three bars, two kitchens, two private dining rooms. Uh, you name it, there's a retail store in there, it's massive. So we needed some specific talent for that. And we found our ace, our diamond in the rough, which is fantastic. And it's up to him and his leadership team, we've said, to recruit their own team. So if I hired 70 people for you, Jana, they're people that I think would be good for you, but they're maybe not people that you would want for yourself. So we're just going to support them with the recruitment, but we're not going to do it for them. So that's probably the first time we've done that. We're stepping back a little bit more um, and we'll support, we'll still seed with some of our, our very deep culture people from across our, our venue portfolio, but the rest of the underlings, the, the leadership team in their business will recruit them themselves. So it's, it'll be interesting, but I think it's the best way forward. 
and Pilot Life is already a mega brand anyway. Um, so there's just synergies between Sneakers and Jeans as Pilot Life because it's owned by Asahi, which was Carlton United Brewery. But they just love having a good time. Um, so there will be a lot of, we do a big induction when staff start. Lockie takes everyone through a big induction, introduces them to him and myself and our business and, and our values and so on and so forth. Um, and another thing that we do that I, I want to mention that I think is just really cool and it's a crazy idea of Lockie's, but we do it every month now. We've got an awesomeness award. So we, <laughs> it's really fun. And the staff choose who they want to give it to. So only one person a month gets it from the whole company, but the staff submit their request. They pitch to Lockie who they think, whether it's someone from Varnish or Hadik or Goody Twos or wherever it's from. And it's really fun and they get posted all over our socials and it's just a good moment for them uh, to be acknowledged for however simple, um, just turning up for work early every week, although they're short-staffed and blah, blah, blah. But it's, we just have a lot of fun, silly things, but it just adds a lot of value to the to the guys um, and shows that you know they're being respected and being seen. So. Yeah, you're calling out positive reinforcing the behavior that goes along with your values, and that's so important yeah, right. to be send that signal because there's a lot of noise for for employees, but just a consistent signal. This is what we want, and people who behave this way, they they don't get to stay here because we respect you and we're not gonna put you in a position of being around people who don't match our values. That's how important they are to us. So that becomes super important. So I, I just pulled out something that uh, Lieutenant General David Morrison said, every one of us is responsible for the culture and reputation of our army and the environment in which we work. If you become aware of any individual degrading another, then show moral courage and take a stand against it. No one has ever explained to me how exploitation or degradation of others enhances the capability or honors the tradition of the Australian Army. He said, I will be ruthless in ridding the Army of people who cannot live up to its values, and I need every one of you to support me in achieving this. And as David Hurley, the former Chief of Australian Defense Force said, the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. And so that goes for us as leaders of our companies as well. So, you know, it's really compelling. And he said, if that doesn't suit you, then you need to get out. And that's the other part of it is if you can't live this way, then you need to go to some other company that's a better fit. So our programs know a lot about how you either describe all of this to the people and try to change them if they don't quite fit the values or if they aren't performing, give them opportunities to understand and change and get better and learn and so forth. But if they don't, then you've got to change the people and bring in some other people. Okay, so let's talk a little bit now about how this, what we're talking about in terms of creating a great culture and how that's actually helped you from a business perspective. Has that had a difference on the bottom line, the profitability or the revenue? Or how, how do, what, why is that important other than for us to say, yeah, that's a good thing to do? So Brett, how about you? We'll start with you. Yeah, well, with 120 employees, I guess our, um, our employee cost is our single biggest cost in the place. So hiring is expensive, training is expensive, firing is expensive. Uh, all those three things are super expensive. A, a strong culture that's, that's lived from the top down and it has its checks and balances like you talked about there when someone does get it wrong. If that's put in place properly, um, you have less staff turnover. You know, we, we're, we're having, so therefore that, that contributes straight to the bottom line. If nothing else, you've got that, that example there where you're not hiring. And as Andy said, it's hard to find people. You know, we're, we're almost getting down to the unemployable now. The people who don't want a job that just rock up because they need their piece of paper signed. And even that, they don't even rock up sometimes. So, you know, we've had more missed interviews for people just not turning up since COVID than ever before. Um, so yeah, so people, it's expensive to, to, to hire, fire and train. So it, it, it certainly gets you there, but then there's all the other areas through your business where people are happy and they're, they're in the right culture and they're living the values. They're, they're better workers. They're, they have less absenteeism. Um, they're turning up, they're helping one another. You know, they're helping other people get through because we all have our good days and our bad days. I mean, if we lost 
a 22-year-old employee, a 22-year employee this year that was 48 um, years old, and he just suddenly passed away. Went home Friday and didn't come back Monday. Um, and it turned it was my cousin as well. So I was in I was in Broome at the time, and so I'm trying to organise these things. I'm ringing people in tears myself to tell them you know, the leadership team that Michael had passed away and stuff like that. And Dave sort of took over because he was the man on the ground, and they got everyone. Everyone that knew Michael closely, and there was probably 30 people in the room. And they, on a Saturday, they come in and they sat around and they just talked about Michael. And we phoned in and listened in. And once again, there was tears, but it was just the most beautiful thing. But it was just the fact that 30 people were more than happy to give their Saturday up and, and come in and sit around in this room. And, um, you know, there's talk now about how, how do we best remember Michael and, you know, plant a tree, what, what do we do? and um, but and that wouldn't happen everywhere. But it, you know, this care and respect and stuff that we've got here—you just look at it and you go, "It's real." It, it really does mean something. And you know, people in particularly like Victoria, and I think New South Wales, man, we're struggling through this this bumpy road, right? So we could be—I I read something this morning. It was an American thing talking about how many people have resigned in the last 12 months, resigned from their their companies because they're just the whole COVID thing is making them reassess their lives. Um, I think we've had two and they both left to be nurses. Um, so people aren't leaving, they're, they're feeling secure and, you know, we were really strong early in the piece with communication everywhere. I realised I had these people's lives and we stood them down for two weeks, much like Andy, it was two weeks for us and then it was 22 hours, between 22 and 27 hours they were working for the next eight weeks. Um, so it was a really tough time, but they felt secure, they felt cared for and they felt like they were informed. So, you know, and that was really important. So once again, if we'd lost people then, and then we're trying to hire another 50, well, you're going backwards to go forwards before you can go forward. So we've been really, well, we're lucky, you say we're lucky, but we're, we're, I guess we're doing the right things. And so that contributes straight to the bottom line. Those are such good points, not having to recruit additional people because you have a revolving door, because that's mm. so expensive having people who actually are performing at a higher level, having people who are communicated and understand what to do and then don't make mistakes and have to do do-overs, which of course takes away from the bottom line as well. And then as you say, people who are generally happy about what they're doing, people who are happy actually perform at a higher level. It's just been research on that. It's not that you have happy people and they'll perform better. They're happy because they're doing a job they love, there's meaning in life, they're doing it with people they enjoy being with, it's just a wonderful concatenation of factors that enables higher productivity. So Andy, do you feel the same sort of thing, although you don't have people working you know, on shift lines doing the same thing over and over? You've got a lot more, yeah. as you say, hospitality <clears throat> and jazz, five and... Yeah, mate, Brett, uh, just everything resonated, mate. You, you're just spot on. We, we, I feel the exact same way about our guys. The, the challenges the last 18 months have been exponential. You think you're going to lose everything. A hundred staff think they're going to lose a job. Um, they they dug in deep and they, they did more than I expected. And I'm very grateful. But it is a testament to, I guess, the culture, Brett, that you, you and we are doing at Sneakers. And as far as growth, you know, part life's just the next thing. Beyond that, we've got a, a pipeline of other ventures. And I think the one thing with our business is there is no ceiling, so that's attractive. If you've got the hunger, we're the right business for you because we will take you places. Um, you come in and you just start somewhere and before you know it, you're going to be over there opening that new venue with a bunch of your best buddies that work with us. So, you know, culture gives us a foundation for growth, the retention, the development. It takes time to get to know each other. So. To have to do that all the time is a pain in the butt. It's expensive, it's fatiguing. So retention is growth is is key to our success. Um, so pretty much everything Brett said, and then it'll be that little sprinkle on top for us, Jana. Just um, the ability to be able to upskill and actually relocate people elsewhere keeps them hungry for more. And we've got quite a few in the pipeline for that. It's great. So you make a really good point because if you have growth you do have opportunities for people to be able to move up. And Brett, you're gonna be adding another 70 people or whatever. There are gonna be opportunities for some of those people to move up into management positions now, right? As you've gotten 
getting the pipeline ready, yeah? Yeah, and that's happened in, in recent times. We, we have had a couple of um, key people decide they want to move on and, and, and not be part of this organisation. Um, and younger people have stepped up. We've got the youngest leadership team we've ever had. Um, Karen, who's on our leadership team, she started here 25 years ago as a um, thinner and buttoner, putting pins into buttons, you know, and she's, so we've had a great tradition of people getting opportunity through the place. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, 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 and that's probably as an employer, I reckon it's probably one of, if not the most rewarding thing to see, to see people come through. Both Brendan, you've met Brendan, first job ever. He's been here now 18 years, never had an unplanned day off, and he's now the operations manager. You know, he come here straight out of school as a as a factory hand in the in the cutting department. You know, that's so rewarding. I mean, I've I've done it. I've worked my way through, and I guess I always going to because I was family. But these guys, you know, they're they are family, they're Rayline family, they're like family, but they come here with not that level of expectation. And you know, what Andy talks about, it's just that's the modern employee wants opportunity they want something new they don't want to do the same thing forever because they get bored with that very very quickly the young people so if you can show them a pathway and they've got to earn the pathway it's not just there it's not the path you just walk down and it happens you've got to earn it and show the right thing but we've got so many examples here of how that's important and once again it's you know you you're giving someone that already knows the business just a new opportunity in a, in a, in a new part of the business so they've got part of what the new person has to learn already packed away in their in their briefcase sort of thing so um and yeah so it's, it's very rewarding as an employer to see people go through and and um and make something of themselves within the business and really add to us as a as a company and it shows through when people come through you were here you met my employees once and you you know you you were really impressed and we get that all the time because it's real you know and people are happy even though they're doing repetitious work that's on. Yep. And so the the business of how do you grow and how do you become profitable and why is culture so important in terms of how it impacts the bottom line? Well, let's just tick them off. First of all, you keep good people and they perform at a higher level because they're working with other people who care and share the values. Second, you are building your pipeline of people who can be moving up into management positions who understand the business, understand the culture, understand what's in your head, what the vision is. When you go out and hire somebody and bring somebody like that in, it takes them months to get up to speed. And even so, they may be a year or two before they really finally actually get it to the point that you feel, I can totally delegate at level five. So that's huge when you're growing rapidly. Now that's not to say you won't, as you did, Andy, you have to bring somebody who has the expertise and the knowledge and experience but you're, you'll stay close with that person because you want them to succeed. You'll help them recruit the next group, the, the core that report to them, and really do everything you can so that they will fit and they will be successful because that'll be a huge loss for you if something goes wrong there. And, and a difficult problem if they don't begin to mirror the culture right away of the rest of sneakers and jeans. So you know that and you'll be on it. And that's why you'll be successful ever so much more quickly than somebody who just started out doing that by themselves. So. Many, many reasons that have to do with people knowing the business, extending your vision and your dream, and not having to go through the extra expense of replacing them with other people. Well, it's a very rich conversation. If you had to give a couple tips to somebody before I turn it over to Laura, I can't believe the hour is almost over. And somebody sitting here listening in, Andy, what do you think? Two or three things that you would say to them? Um, one thing that I've always tried to do is surround myself with people that are better than me. Um, I've always said to Lockie to take my job from me and we sort of encourage that, 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 healthy, uh, that healthy hunger in our business. Um, I, I love people that are better than me being around me. Um, and for me, it's being comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a big part of how we've been challenging, constantly striving, wanting to learn, wanting to be better, wanting to evolve. So, I mean, they're, they're probably a couple of big ones for me, I guess, Jana. Yep, cool. Brett, how about you? Yeah. And I think, I mean, as far as values and culture, I mean, values are, are um, what's sort of formalising it a little bit, but just start, 
it won't be perfect and you'll you'll have your ups and downs a little bit, but get, get a team together, develop your values, make sure they're actually representative of who you are though, because there's, you know, and if, if there's problems there, well, you need to fix those problems before you label them. Because um, values are real, they're not they're not like goals that you're aiming to get to. Values are today, they're, they're who you are, they've got it, because if, if they're not who you are, people within your organisation will just shake their head and go, well, they say that, but they don't mean that. So make sure they represent who you are um, and get the team involved and, and you know, like Andy talked about his awesomeness award, um, use something to promote it that, that really, I'm, I'm going to use that, we'll call ours, we've got a, a brand promise called Inspire the Wow. Um, so that would be the Inspire the Wow, wow Award. But, and, and, and read and learn and, and um, because you, you, just in a talk like this, I've made a few notes of things that we can, we can so it's a never ending journey, I suppose. You'll never, there's no destination, there's no perfect world that doesn't exist, but you can be better than you are today, so just get started. Thank you so much for sharing. This has just been an awesome webinar. Thank you. Uh, I, I think you borrowed that word from me, didn't you? <laughs> Laura, over to you. Thanks, Dr. Jenna, and thank you so much to Andy and Brett for all your insight today. Thank you. Thank that you. Might noise? No. So that was really wonderful for me. It's always really enlightening and inspiring to hear from Dr. Jenna. Um, and culture and how to build a fantastic one is hands down one of my favourite things to keep learning about and keep talking about. It's just so important on our quest to find and retain talent. I think we're all facing some of those challenges no matter what industry we're in. I'd just like to share quickly some of the things I think are important takeaways from our webinar today. So initially from Dr Jana, we heard that culture is the result of a lot of things that you do in your company, but it's also about how you respond. And that example around the Adelaide Footy Club in recent days their desire to promote a safe culture to raise issues and to call things out for the better rather than hiding them. Their response has told us a lot about the culture that they're striving for. It's about what kind of culture do you have and is it the one that you want? Because you can always change it, right? And the constant reminder that the standard you walk past is the standard you accept. That could not be more important. I think Andy might have sold himself a little short, not accepting that hospitality guru label as a former patron of a number of his venues from my five years living and working in Perth. If you haven't been to Varnish and dabbled in a pickle bath, then you haven't really lived the full Perth experience, I would say. But I can tell you uh, that you can actually feel the wonderful, fun culture Andy speaks about. As soon as you step through the door of those establishments, they're creating wonderful experiences and memories for staff and patrons alike. Brett talked about the conditions that they provide for their team even down to the heating and the aircon, very important in Melbourne. Um, and hiring 50 people in the past six months in these conditions is absolutely extraordinary. Making sure they're attracting the right people with the right ideas and bringing the team along on the journey and having them as part of the solution is absolutely critical and will no doubt enable them to continue to grow. Also for me, Brett and his wife, stepping out of the business to have a break and having that management team of six just empowers their management and their staff to get on with the job and to lead by and live the values that they've all agreed to. So really important there too. COVID's obviously impacted all of us in different ways, but that focus on health and wellbeing for the team by Andy throughout those tough times, that's been a real key to their ongoing success. And, and you know, awards are one thing, but the feel of the team and the culture that that promotes is something even more important. The quote by Andy, wow, that was an awesome boss. We all want to be that person and we all want to work for that person. That's the dream. So what do we need to do to become that person and to foster that culture in our organisation? Brett's key values of, and I hope I get these right, commitment, teamwork, respect, communication and attention to results, they're true to Rayline and they're really effective in their business. But not all companies will feel the same or have those exact values as the trademark of their business. However, that desire to put the vision of the key values out there and then the constant embedding of those values and calling out where they aren't aligned, that's what keeps everyone accountable within your company and your team. And just finally, the culture needs to be consistent across your brand. Andy wants that business culture and the values to ring true across all of his venues. And I know that's something that's really important to us at ANZ as well. We don't want you to walk into one of our business locations and have it feel really great and fun and energetic and fabulous and then walk into another one 
and have it feel completely different. We want that alignment and a common understanding of our shared values and our shared vision. And yeah, I agree with Brett, the awesomeness award, how good's that? Recognition and positive reinforcement for our team as a key part of the culture is so important and it continues to build that consistency. So on behalf of ANZ, I'd like to thank Dr. Jenna, Andy and Brett for their time today, for sharing their insights about how to create a culture that can accelerate growth. We are incredibly grateful to hear about how you were able to steer your companies through the pandemic, but we're also really proud of you and how your companies have continued to grow. Thank you for sharing what you've learned with all our businesses that have attended today. For more information about how to manage business growth, you can visit our website, www.anz.com forward slash business growth, where there are many tools and resources available which ANZ has licensed from the Australian Centre for Business Growth, including interviews with our CEOs who've been through that business growth program. Our next business growth webinar is the 14th of October. Dr. Jana will be interviewing two CEOs, Drew Parker of Red Roof Trusses in Queensland and Emily Bradley of Southern Design Group in South Australia, both of whom have been through the ANZ Business Growth Program and they'll be talking about how they defined their business model, developed their three-year strategic plan, their one-year operational plan, and how that process has enabled their companies to grow quickly. So thank you very much and we look forward to seeing you at the next Business Growth Webinar at noon on the 14th of October. Awesome, thank you.